right, if you have your Bibles, uh, go with me to the book of Galatians or your Bible apps on your phone, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. I've been teaching a series this summer. This will be the the sixth part in this series, and it is called Healing Basics, all right? Healing Basics. Uh, So just heads up, if you're new with us today, you can get part one through five free of charge on the website. Watch it, listen to it, download it, get caught up. I just want you to know you're coming into uh, a middle of a series and a lot of things have been said and established regarding healing. I'm very well aware that many Christians today are not taught this subject. It is all over the Bible, but you know, some some of us preachers, I guess, seem to ignore certain things, and I don't think this is one of them that can or should be ignored. Uh, It is a very big thing with God. I've established previously that the foundation of healing is a part of God's redemptive plan, all right? By itself, just knowing that, that removes any possibility of you being a special case or a special circumstance to where you cannot be healed or anyone. It it removes that possibility. Even before I explain some of the things I will today, if you heard the other parts, you will know that it cannot be interpreted, the verses I'll read, like they have been by some. Nevertheless, I do want to uh, go over a few passages that have tripped some people, okay? You can call them sacred cows. You can do whatever you want, but it has tripped some people in their faith, and I want to remove the obstacle so that when you have a need in your body for a healing touch from God, you don't have these thoughts like, oh, but what if I'm like this? What if it's one of those special cases, those circumstances where I can't be? Because there are no cases like that. There really aren't. And again, I don't want to reteach the things I already have. uh, But today I'm going to remove some more of those points. Last week we we dealt with the often mistaught subject of Paul's thorn in the flesh. And uh, that was fun. Enjoyed teaching that and killing that cow. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, and that's out of character for me because I grew up around cows and we didn't want them to die. And... (laughs) But today I want to, I want to read another one, uh, in fact, a couple of them. Um, uh, the first one is found here in Galatians chapter 4, and the logic to this passage, if not understood correctly, goes like this, that if Paul, uh, knowing all that he did, and you know he wrote the greater portion of the New Testament, he had much revelation of redemption. You read Ephesians and Colossians, and you are blown away by the truth that he had, the revelation that he had. If he suffered sickness and could not get healed himself, then who are we to think that we're ever going to get it? And that logic is sound if that's really true about him. And of course, we know it can't be, but I want to read the verses anyway so you understand for yourself how to explain it. You understand for others who will try to talk you out of your faith and your believing God for physical healing in your body. Uh, You'll be able to give them good answers too. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, notice with me in verse 12, it reads, uh, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, 
you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So Paul here is, is referencing something that he went through in relationship to them. They were fully aware of what he was talking about. We are not, not fully aware. In other words, we weren't there, they were. So he could just kind of briefly in a few verses mention something that happened to him and they're all, they're all tying the actual event into it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I know when that, this happened. We, are, we, on the other hand, are looking at this, uh, you know, couple thousand years later and saying, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? Could you explain some of these words you're using here? And because of the, the vagueness of what he's referencing here, if someone doesn't have a full picture of, you know, redemption, if someone doesn't have a full picture of the history of what he's talking about, they could easily twist this and the re end result being that, that their faith is crippled. When they go to pray, they wonder, oh, well, Paul couldn't get healed of his infirmity, so how can I? Does that, does that make sense? But, but I want to ask the question, like, like we have in other situations, is that really what took place here? First of all, he mentions that he had a physical infirmity, a infirmity that was in his flesh. As I pointed out to you before, the word infirmity can mean sickness. It can mean weakness, inadequacy. It could mean there was something lacking there. It doesn't necessarily refer to someone being sick. Okay, and I showed you that context in, in, in previous parts of, of this series. So I don't want to jump to the conclusion that when he said, because of my physical infirmity, that he had a disease of some kind. That's just not what the word means. It's not what that implies. You have to have a context to arrive at that point. But the other thing is this. In verse 13, at the, the last three words of verse 13 are very revealing. When he says, he explains this situation and says it was at the first. At the first. You know with the physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. So at the first means not at the second. <laughs> or third, or let me say it another way. Not now, but then. Back when we first met, back in the beginning of this relationship, there was a problem. So you can see that it wasn't something he was presently still struggling with. He's not referencing some incurable, unfixable issue in his body. He's saying, I used to have a problem. Yeah, I think all of us can relate to used to have a problem. Amen. And some can relate to still have a problem. I get that. But used to have a problem is not the same as still have it. This was not a perpetual, long-term issue. It certainly would be totally incorrect to read this and say, yeah, Paul had this infirmity that he couldn't, that God wouldn't heal. And so I don't know if he'll heal me. You have to read a whole lot into it to arrive at that conclusion that that was the case. And none of us today should ever have entertained the notion for even a moment that, you know, Paul didn't get healed of something. And so, you know, then therefore, how, how can I? That wasn't the case that Paul didn't get healed of something. It didn't say that. In, in, in fact, we could go further. We will in a moment. But some people have taken this passage. They have extrapolated from verse 15 with the phrase, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me if you could. They have said, oh, I see. Paul had an eye disease. 
Literally, this is taught. This is taught in some theological books. Paul had an eye disease, and then they tie it to a different letter written to a different church at a different time, the Corinthians that we spoke of last week, and they say, oh, that must have been his thorn in the flesh, because this verse uses the word flesh too, and they marry those things together, and they, say, they come up with this doctrine of Paul's eye disease. I'm just saying that's such a stretch, and that is inconsistent with his very message, the gospel that he taught, that it, can't, it cannot be the case, but that is terrible Bible interpretation to, to do that with these verses, and I'll explain why. We know the origin of at the first. The scriptures interpret themselves, and we can read about that in the book of Acts chapter 14. Okay, what happened there is Paul and his companions, you know, Barnabas is one of them. They were preaching in one area, getting great results, mighty miracles. And there came some troublemakers into town, kind of like today in our, anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, side note, uh, came some people stirring up trouble. They planted doubt. They planted questions in the minds of some of the Jews to stir up trouble to get him to stop preaching. And it was effective. He was so effective and so powerful, but all of a sudden there's great division in, in, in the place where he was going. So he had to leave town. Okay. Here's what it, how it says it in Acts 14, 6. But they became aware of it and, 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 and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So they left that divisionary, dangerous situation, went to another place, and preached the gospel there. What resulted in that place was more signs and wonders and miracles. Remember, there was that lame guy who heard Paul preach. Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed, told him to stand up. This guy, there's a mighty miracle in their midst. And what happened then is the people in this new area, they started looking at Paul and Barnabas. And because of their, their you know, goofy theology, they called Paul Zeus. And they, they basically started to wor worship them. Because of this great miracle, they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas as some kind of God. And uh, so he stopped that. He said, no, 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 don't do that. We're just like you. Don't worship us. And they're bringing animals in. They're, back, they're about ready to make animal sacrifices to them. So they're all in. <laughs> and then, blink your eyes, someone else comes in and stirs up some division in their midst again. And they turn on a dime and want to kill them. So they want to worship them one moment, and they want to kill them the next. Has anybody ever met those people? <laughs> Friends of yours? Uh, fickle, just you can't do anything for more than a minute? Anyway, uh, that's what was happening there. And, and I want to pick up here and read verse 19, 14, 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul. So they went from worshiping, we want to kill you, and they did it. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So imagine the picture. It's hard for us to see because we don't have very many stonings in our day, in our country. <laughs> but imagine it's pretty ugly. He's a bloodied mess. He's bruised and cut and bleeding. And then they say, well, you can't leave the dead body here. Somebody get that out of town. You don't, right? You have to dispose of dead bodies. Isn't that how you guys function? <laughs> they said, drag him out. So they just drag him out. I doubt they, you know, did it very, in a very nice way. So he's just being drug. <laughs> Going to throw that body out in the heap somewhere so it can rot. So this is a rough situation. Um, however, verse 20, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derby. <laughs> 
That is a pretty cool sentence. <laughs> I think there's a lot. That is an obvious, outstanding miracle. He is left for dead, maybe dead. They for certainly, certainly supposed him to be dead. And he's laying there in a dirty, bloody mess. And they get around him. Kind of, kind of shows you what, the way we ought to do things, right? So what do you think they were doing? You may be playing a little hacky sack or what are they, <laughs> you know, what are they doing circling up around Paul? You know what they are doing. Same thing we would do. They're praying, they're speaking life into his body, they're using the authority of the name of Jesus and saying, live, live, life come into him, come on. And they're in agreement and great power was there and Paul goes, Whoop. doesn't he? And he sits up and, and obviously leaves with them. This is amazing. Here, here's where I want to, you know, maybe speculate a little bit because it doesn't give us the details. I wonder what the extent of his injuries were. I imagine they were very severe. He bloodied head, right? Possibly rocks thrown at his eyes. I also um, know that it's entirely possible that when he was raised up, that maybe he didn't get completely new skin in an instant. That maybe there was a recovery process as part of this. I don't know that for certain. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing the parallel because what I do know is this is at the first. These cities that we read, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, that is part of a region called Galatia. So when he's writing in Galatians 4, these are the same people. This is at the first. This is logical, letting the scripture interpret itself. When he first met them, he had physical infirmity of some kind, some kind of weakness. I'm going to think, that's ah, pretty likely that that was from the stoning. <laughs> right? I haven't been stoned in that way either. <laughs> <laughs> but some of you know. <laughs> I imagine, sorry. Um, whatever his situation was, is he did recover. He did get better. And possibly it took a little bit of time. Okay, now here's another, another option here. When he used the language, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That is not necessarily referring to a physical eye problem could have been, and it also could have been, I'd have given, we'd have given you our right arm. You know, it's just an statement, an expression of affection. I'd lay down my life for you. Well, if I say, you, say to you, I'd give you my right arm, does that mean you have to be armless for me to say that to you? No, it's just a way of saying something. So I'm not totally sure that even if in the, even in the stoning that he had some kind of uh, eye trouble on a temporary basis. If he did, it was temporary because we saw that. All right. If he didn't, this very well could just be an expression of you guys would lay down your life for me. You'd, you'd give it, you'd pluck your eyes out and give them to me. You see what I'm, where I'm saying, going with this? Uh, what I can't see though is to conclude by this and put these together and say, oh yeah, Paul had some eye disease and God wouldn't heal him. Oh, there's another verse at the end of the letter. Paul was finishing his letter to the Galatians, which was an outstanding revelation and so powerful. And he uses this language that kind of gets, 
you know, twisted a little bit today because we don't always speak the same way. But he said in Galatians 6.11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And so what you can do is you take little half verses here and there and little minor statements and put them together. And they say, see, Paul could hardly see what he was writing. So he wrote these big letters, <laughs> large letters, because he couldn't write normal at a normal size, you know, letter. He had to use really big ones. Therefore, I mean, that's not what he's saying. With their, with their form of, of writing and their parchments and all this, can you imagine how that might have been too heavy? Once you get the whole book of Galatians written out in these real big letters, I don't even know if he could carry that. But the word large there basically is, the, is a word for quantity, okay? He was saying, I've written something very important to you. I've written at, at length to you about, about this subject. And he said, and I did it with my own hand. He's emphasizing the importance of what he was saying. But again, you can put verses together and you can make the Bible say anything you want to if you, if you so desire. You can come up with almost any doctrine possible. The devil will help you. If the end result is that people suffer, people remain outside of God's mercy and care, I'm kind of questioning it right from the get-go. It's like the, the Pharisees in Jesus' day when they would get all upset with him because he'd heal on the Sabbath. It's like, you got to know that's demonic in origin when, when people are trying to keep help away from people who are suffering. I mean, that's just the opposite of God. It's the opposite of the way he is. Amen. All right, you ready to go to Timothy's stomach? <laughs> okay, uh, let, let's go over to 1 Timothy 5. So we dealt with, uh, with Paul's infirmity of the flesh. I know some of you are saying, I don't even know, didn't even know that was there. That's never been trouble for me. Great, not trying to make it trouble, but uh, some people have been taught these things and, and it hinders them in their own faith. And I don't want you to be hindered. I want you to be strong in the grace of God. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is the writer of this letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He tells them in verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. All right, so obviously Timothy had some kind of frequent problem in his stomach, and Paul is giving him advice regarding that. Let me tell you what this, uh, this doesn't say first. It does not say that Timothy had a disease or a sickness that God would not heal him of. That's not what it says. That's not what Paul said. He didn't say, Timothy, I know God wouldn't heal you of this one, so I'm recommending this natural approach. That's not what he is saying. That's not, what, that's not consistent with Scripture. But it is clear that whatever problems he was having was related to the water. He said, stop drinking only water. This is a problem, water pollution, contamination, even in our present day. Right? Amen. Uh, I've been on uh, different trips to different countries ministering, uh, and in a number of them, one of the first things I hear is that the local missionaries will tell us Americans, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water unless it's bottled water. 
You know, why? What's the problem? Well, they say, you'll get to spend extra time in the bathroom if you do. <laughs> in other words, it's not filtered correctly. It's not, it's not right. And sometimes you see the locals drinking it, and I'm thinking, well, they're drinking it. Why can't we drink it? And apparently many of them have adapted to it. Uh, and other times I've asked um, some local, some local missionaries, why is it that when I'm preaching in the service and I, and I minister to the sick, that there's so many people that ask for prayer for their stomach? They need healing in their stomach. And they say that's because of the water they drink. So even being there living in it, many people have stomach problems today in our present world because the water is not pure, it's not contaminated. All right, so that's not, that's not really a mystery as to why this was going on. Um, Timothy uh, was Timothy was a Greek. His father was Greek, and among the Greeks, they had a practice of mixing a little bit of wine with a bunch of water. Okay, and that practice was done because they believed that drinking water straight <laughs> uh, would. Uh, would be damaging to the stomach. So, so that became uh, their practice. But for some reason, uh, Timothy was only drinking water. Paul said, Timothy, stop only drinking water. Why was Timothy only drinking water when that wasn't the custom of their day? It wasn't the practice. And I, again, I don't know for certain. I wonder, maybe uh, he was, you know, Standing on Mark 16, Jesus said, you drink anything deadly, it will not hurt you. Possibly. I would do that. But how many know that Jesus was not really instructing us to intentionally drink something that would harm us? Yeah. If you're intentionally drinking something to harm you because you're going to exercise your faith, I might not pray for you. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know, but for, it, it might have been that because of the abuse of alcohol, it was the same then as it is today, that Timothy, being a Christian and being a leader, said, I just don't want to touch the stuff. Because I know if I do, someone else is going to see me do it, and they're going to take it to, an, take it to excess. And it's possible that him just being a believer didn't want to be a bad example and lead anyone astray. So he said, I'm just going straight water. <laughs> but interesting, Paul's word to him was, stop drinking only water. Get a little bit of wine in there, and so the water was causing a problem. Now, this isn't an endorsement from Paul to, to tell people to take medicine. That's not what his subject was. It wasn't medicinal in that regard. He wasn't instructing them to take up alcohol. Yeah, you see by the language, he said, take a little wine for your stomach, not a lot of wine, for your head. Yeah. A little for your stomach, not a lot, because ministry is hard. That's not what, what, Paul, what Paul's recommendation was to him. It, 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 was, it was just about the water. I think that applies to us today. Uh, not necessarily our water issue, unless you, you know, live in Nampa or something. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with the, I, I'm sure they have great water. Uh, but in regards to natural things that cause us physical harm, if you are doing something that you can connect to some physical problem you have, I have a word for you. 
Quit it. Yeah. Amen. Just stop doing that. Well, I'm believing God. Okay, great. I'm with you. But if, if every time you eat such and such, you have a stomach problem, stop eating that. Now, don't take that too far. If you have a food allergy, you can be healed of that. I mean, we have testimonies, testimonies right here. Anybody ever been healed of food, food allergies in this house? Lift your hands up in the air. Okay, some there, some there, some there. Amen, some there. Amen. So being healed of food allergies is, is not an abnormal thing. If that's the case, you can do that. But I think to say, this harms me, I'm going to stop doing that, that's not a contradiction to your faith or to God's word of redemption. Uh, likewise, how many know sometimes if someone is overweight, that could lead to physical problems? That it could lead to, you know, back problems, maybe knee problems, uh, maybe heart issues or respiratory uh, issues, okay? What causes that? Is that the devil? No, it's the buffet. <laughs> Listen, I'm all for a buffet. Uh, say, well, can't people be healed of stuff anyway, even if, they, of course they can Jesus died for it. It's provided. The point is, is there's a good chance you're going to have to repeatedly believe God for the same thing if your behavior, your lifestyle is conducive to certain issues. And it seems not everyone has the same stuff either, does it? Some people can be overweight and don't, don't have any health issues. And other people, they are, they do. What's the word? Stop drinking only water. Let me translate. Lose weight. <laughs> If that is something that is causing you health issues. Say, so easier said than done. I know, I know. We don't, don't only have faith for healing, have faith for grace. To stand and to live your life a certain way. God will empower you to overcome in every area of life. Amen. All right, let me show you one more. Uh, a guy named Trophimus. Okay, we got Timothy set up. There's no issue of Timothy not being healed. It's just a practical advice, and we should, we should be practical as well. A guy named Trophimus. See, Paul ends his letter, his second letter to Timothy, with brief statements about certain people. And this has been seized upon by some to imply something that's incorrect. It's 2 Timothy 4.20. He writes, Erastus stayed at Corinth, but Trophimus... I have left in Miletus sick. No details, no length of sickness. Uh, in fact, like I mentioned, same word here as weakness, same word as we read in those other places. So he could have been sick, he could have been tired. He could have been worn out. That's entirely possible. We don't have enough detail to know what his weakness was in, in this situation. But it doesn't really matter if he was literally sick or he was just worn out and tired. Whatever the case is, uh, Trophimus wasn't able to be ready when Paul left. It, 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 there's no indication here that he couldn't get healed or Paul didn't minister to him or pray for him. Paul was ready to go and said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I've got to leave. It, we shouldn't believe or think that Trophimus stayed in that condition. We would have to speculate either way. He just doesn't say. Very likely, uh, he went to bed, and the next morning, he was ready to go. That's entirely possible. Um, 
But whatever the case, Trophimus was left in this situation, and Paul left him, and that was his condition when he left, either weak, tired, worn out, or possibly sick. And, and, and we shouldn't use this. People have used this. Here's, here's one of the arguments that come. They say, by this time, meaning all these years after the cross, uh, God stopped doing miracles and healing people. And so Paul was unable to heal Trophimus from his sickness. Can I tell you how wrong that is? First of all, there was never a time when Paul could just randomly heal everyone he wanted to. That's not how healing works. It's like Paul used to be able to do this, but now he couldn't anymore. No. Can I tell you something else? Jesus couldn't do that either. You read Mark chapter 6, when he went to his hometown, he could there do no mighty work and marveled at their unbelief. Their unbelief shut Jesus down. So to think that healing works that way, if healing is available to all, then it must automatically be experienced by all is an incorrect understanding of how the power of God works, how healing works. And so the fact that Paul left, uh, what's his name? Trophimus. <laughs> Uh, he, the fact that he left them weak or sick has no bearing upon what was available, what he was walking through, or, or the victory he may have experienced shortly after. That's just not how healing works. Everybody with me now? Okay. So these things are very easy to answer. Never be tripped up in your faith. Okay. I, I do want to encourage you this way. If you ever want to succeed in an area of your life, find people who have succeeded there and follow them. If you want to go into business, it would probably be smart to read some books from those who have succeeded in business, to have some relationships, to talk to those who have already made it in that area. Isn't that logical? As opposed to you, t you talk to and listen to everyone who's failed. It doesn't mean you have to judge their heart or anything like that. It's just, no, I'm just not going to go to your class. I'm going to go to his class. Yeah? You seek out things in your life that you want to succeed at by finding those who have kind of figured it out, who have an understanding, who have a track record. You know, if you want to get in physical shape, stop listening to the people who are out of physical shape. They're not your advisors. Yeah? I, I may have told you, but quite a few years ago, uh, there was uh, one of the gyms. I went to this class just because I wanted to try it out. It might have been Pilates or something like that. I thought, I've always wondered what that is. I think that's the right name. Hopefully, I'm not embarrassing myself. <laughs> it was something like that. I thought, I just want to go in there and try that just because I hear so much about it. And, and I went in there and did it, and it was a good workout. Uh, but I just remember being discouraged and don't, take, don't judge my heart on this because I'm not against anybody. But I thought the, the, the leader was not in good shape. <laughs> and so it wrecked my vision. It's like, I'm doing this to get in shape and I have to watch you. <laughs> so I, I quit after a couple times. <laughs> Do my own thing. <laughs> I'm just saying in life, it works that way. You find people who succeed in an area... And you, you listen to them. You follow their advice. This is true with God. Right. 
This is true in your relationship with God. You want to be close to him? You want to walk close to, with the Lord? You want to have a, have a successful prayer life where you pray and things happen? You want to be an overcomer and not be, you know, just struggling to live your life from year to year? Find people who are doing it. I don't mean you're going to find a perfect example outside of Jesus. You're not, but you can still find people who are good, who are succeeding, who have a, a fruitful prayer life. Yeah. Follow them. Listen to them. It's why we get together. It's one reason. So you can see real life people who experience healing. Amen. Just the other night in our, in our believers meeting, we had probably 50 or 100 people shouting out from these seats things that God healed them of. Some of them were terminal. Some of them were horrible things. And some of them were, were lesser issues. But I was standing back, standing back up on the stage thinking, this is awesome. Praise God. This is the real deal. Anyone who's discouraged or think that they don't qualify for God's healing touch, look around. It is everywhere. You want to surround yourself with people who get it, not those who don't. Amen. It doesn't mean something they're bad. someone's a bad person if they fail in business or are overweight. It doesn't mean someone's a bad person if they don't get healed or anything. They may love God, you know, with all their heart. I'm just saying if you want success in an area, find an example. Right. Amen. Amen. So if I need healing or if I want to help someone with healing, I'm not starting with Trophimus. <laughs> I don't know enough about him. I wish I had the rest of the story. One day we'll talk and we'll get the rest of the story. Maybe Paul Harvey can give it to us, right? Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to read the stories of Jesus and watch people get healed, amazing things, set free and delivered and get all this stuff. I'm going to read that story and say, oh, I see what they did. I see how they talked. I see how they spoke. I see how they, how they approached this, and they got their victory. I'm doing that. Good. Amen. That's our method. We surround ourselves with those who have made a connection. Does it mean they're superior? No, they just found the key there. And so I want to follow that. Amen. If I want to be successful in business, I don't care about someone's weight. And then you understand what I'm talking about? That's not relevant to what I'm seeking. I don't need a perfect person, but if I find someone who made a connection with God and they're able to walk in his healing power, my ear is perking up. So tell me what happened to you. So tell me how you got there. Tell me the way it used to be. What did you do? What, what was the process? What did you learn? What scriptures did you use? How did you make that connection with God? And I tell you, it's such a strong desire in my heart to, to have people come here where I can, you know, grab the hand of God and I can grab their hand and go. And if I can do that through the preaching and teaching of God's word or the laying on of hands or the ministry of worship or whatever, I want to make the connection so that you can hear from him. You can experience his mighty power. You can enjoy God's best in your life every day. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's stop there for now. Everybody okay? All right, we got another service. I can't keep going. <laughs> Father, thank you for working in us today. Thank you for working in our hearts and our lives.